This is a Triple J podcast. A few weeks ago, we spoke about feeling inexperienced in sex, dating and relationships. We did a whole podcast episode on this, which, by the way, if you haven't already listened, what the hell, go into your feeds right now. Call yourself a fan. Download it, save it (laughs) for later. And someone who reached out to us who was feeling a bit inexperienced was Ash. I had a bit of experience, and then after coming out as trans, the same things weren't as affirming for my identity. And as my body's changing, it sort of feels like starting all over again. Um, I feel like uh, I'm really inexperienced now, and there's I'm not really sure where to go to find out about how to navigate sex as a trans person, or even not just sex, but dating and, uh, yeah, all of it. It's a bit overwhelming. And Pip, this is something that we've heard for years doing the show, not only from people who listen like you, but also from our friends, um, people that we know in in life. And we thought, okay, this is something that I think the hookup out of all podcasts could really help those transitioning right now with. Yeah, 100%. So we thought, why don't we make this episode and we make it as like a bit of a what to expect if you are wanting to transition, if you're starting that journey. Um, So we're going to take you through kind of the basics as far as we can do it. Um, So like maybe the very first steps you want to take if you decide I want to transition. Yeah, some of the medical stuff that you might need help around explaining um, what you might expect when you go to the GP, what that process might look like for you. And also maybe as well, like what Ash was asking, how do you navigate sex, dating and relationships um, if you're transitioning or just new? newly transitioned because like they were saying, it's like you're back at square one and everything is new again and it's all just a bit overwhelming. So before we get into it, we just also want to say that this is such a huge topic. Obviously, there's so much complexity that we can't get through in just one episode. We unfortunately have a time frame with these episodes, (laughs) so we want to just try and cover as much as we possibly can. So it might feel a little bit basic but we will have like a lot of resources as well for you at the end. 100%. And yeah, we're coming from it from a place of learning. I mean, we've watched friends, acquaintances, people that like we follow on social media, celebrities who we love going through this. Um, But at the same time, we're learning along with you. Mm. So yeah, we just hope that this is really helpful. And also you don't necessarily have to be trans to be listening to this episode. I think that this is a great resource for anyone who wants to just better understand the trans experience. Yeah. Any advice as well given in this, particularly the medical stuff. um, This is really for people who are 18 years and over. It gets a bit complicated if you're underage and you're wanting to have surgeries and such. Um, So keep that in mind if you are listening and you're under 18 um, and you're hearing this and thinking, what can I do? Um, Yeah, this is probably a bit more directed at 18 and over. So throughout this episode, you're going to hear from quite a few trans people, some who are you, like you got in touch with us with some questions and advice that you wanted us to answer. But also, you're going to hear a lot from trans non-binary writer and historian Dr. Eve Rees about their journey and their experience through transitioning. Yeah, they're awesome. They're a podcaster, lecturer and historian at La Trobe Uni in Nam, Melbourne. And they also recently wrote a book called All About Eve, Notes from a Transition, about what they went through discovering their trans non-binary identity and exactly how that experience looked for them. We asked them about the moment that they realised they weren't their assigned sex of female from birth. And a lot of those moments were kind of sporadic throughout their childhood. When I was about 11, I had really short hair and I played in a boys cricket team because there was no girls cricket team. And I felt really at home at that space. And one day I was out with my father and we ran into a colleague of his and the colleague thought I was a boy. So the colleague said, oh, it's great to meet your son. And my dad was super uncomfortable and awkward, but I was like, oh, like that kind of that feels interesting but kind of nice but eve said that they had a full-on aha moment when they were an adult i was on holiday alone in canada i'd just taken some you know newly legalized marijuana in the, the province of british columbia 
and had a nice time and woke up the next morning just with this incredible moment of clarity, this like sentence in my mind saying, you know, you're not a woman wearing women's clothes is drag. And it almost felt like a message from God. It's kind of a spiritual experience like that, even though I'm not really a religious person. Everyone's journey is going to be so different as well, but someone who has spent decades working with trans patients is GP Dr. Fiona Bishop. They're super experienced in transgender medicine and also the past president of OSPATH, which is the Australian Professional Association for Trans Health. Yeah, shout out to that resource because it's amazing. That's actually how we found Dr. Fiona. Mm. So if you're interested, we'll link that in the show notes. But yeah, they are Australia's peak body for professionals involved in the health, rights and well-being of all trans people, binary and non-binary. And we spoke to Dr. Fiona about what she's seen with her patients over the many years that she's been treating um, LGBTQIA plus people. Um, And we asked her about some common signs that you might have when you're sort of questioning your own gender identity. You know, not everyone realises from an early age that they're trans, but most people will know that they feel a little bit different. They know there's something different about them. And look, if you're growing up in an environment where it's never spoken about and you've never heard of trans people, then you're not going to realise what it is. Some people are really, really out there with how they feel. And from the moment they can speak, they are telling their mum and dad that I'm actually a boy or I'm actually a girl. And they're insisting on, you know, following the society gendered roles that that there are for for that particular gender. And so it's really, really clear. And for other people, it's a lot less clear and, and it's something that develops over time. I think it often becomes really, really apparent around puberty when people's bodies start to really change and diverge depending on on your sex so you know when um, young people are assigned male at birth when they start to notice these changes in their genitals and their voice and they start getting hair growing in places that it wasn't before that can be very confronting and for, for a lot of young people that is when they realize or that it becomes really pressing that they need to do something about how they feel about themselves and their body and their gender Um, And likewise, for young people assigned female at birth, when they start to develop breast tissue or start to get periods and stuff like that. But often it comes before that when they're seeing how they're being forced into particular gender roles or stereotypes at a younger age that just don't feel comfortable to them, right? Um, So I think that for a lot of young people, that's something that's a gradual process and puberty kind of really triggers it for a lot of people. For some people, it comes after puberty, you know, when they're starting to become more themselves and starting to try and feel more comfortable in their bodies and realising that that it's that's not the way they feel and that they're not comfortable with the way people see their gender. Um, so I think, you know, there's a huge spectrum of how people will realise that they're trans. Yeah, and as you heard from Eve and Dr Fiona just now, a super common experience for trans people is gender dysphoria. Yeah, Lisa Tawney is a sex therapist and she works a lot with trans clients and she told us this is such a common experience. It's when we don't feel uh, comfortable in our bodies. Yeah, so and we can feel that if you don't identify in the gender that you were assigned at birth, that you can then feel discomfort around your body, uh, in particular around your genitals as well. When we're talking about sexuality and sexual expression, Um, if we're not feeling comfortable in our body and with our different body parts that we actually don't identify with, you can see how that can really play out in sexual and intimate encounters, right, if we're actually not able to feel comfortable uh, around our genitals or, you know, how how we like to be touched. For Eve, it really just felt like they were playing this role. The way that they described it was like it was like I was in a play and I was playing the role of something that wasn't who I was. It always felt like, I suppose, like an incorrect assignment, like a burden. You know, I I think like many trans people, like many people in general, was a real people pleaser as, as a child and a young person. So I tried really, really hard to like get a gold star for performing my assigned role of, of girl and later woman. So I, you know, I tried to be femme and, you know, have long hair and wear dresses and be sort of appropriately feminine and submissive. But it just it always felt like an effort. It always felt like a burden or or a role I was being forced to play that never quite fitted. So gender was never really like a happy place for me. 
So maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, I might be trans. I'm feeling a bit dysphoric about the way my body or genitalia is, like the sex I'm born with isn't the gender that affirms who I actually am. What do you do next? Dr. Fiona says the first thing you should do is some research. Get some more info to find out what it actually means to be trans. So the first place you can look is to excellent resources like there's a website called Trans Hub, which is run by ACON in New South Wales, and it is the most amazing um, resource for, for young trans people. It tells you everything you need to know. It gives you lots of information about what do I do if I'm trans? And for some people that they might not need to do anything. They might just need to un- get a better understanding of what that means for them. Um, and for a lot of people, it means going down the pathway of looking at getting hormones so that they can change some things about their body. And for some people, it also includes needing to get um, surgery to change things like getting rid of breast tissue that that doesn't affirm their gender or getting or changing their genitals or getting uh, changes to their face to make them feel more comfortable about how they appear. Um, so there's lots and lots of things that can be done. But early on, it might be something as simple as learning how to wear a binder to make your breasts flatter um, or, you know, how to pr- change your presentation to feel more comfortable with the way you present in the world. So as you heard just there from Dr. Fiona, you can start experimenting with the way you present yourself by using chest binders or changing the way you dress to appear more femme or mask or androgynous. It's sometimes called a social transition. And this is how Eve started their trans journey. You know, I told people I was trans and non-binary. I changed my pronouns from she, her to they, them. I kind of changed my external gender expression. So I, you know, got haircuts. I bought a new wardrobe of of menswear, which ended up being boys wear because I couldn't really fit into any men's clothes. So that, and I changed my name, of course. So my, I was, you know, I had a different name when I was born. And so I changed that to Eve. Let's say you do all of this, you're doing it right now, but you still feel uncomfortable or like you're not really expressing your true gender identity enough. What then? Well, Dr. Fiona says that you can try hormone therapy using testosterone and estrogen. So if someone's assigned male at birth and they want to appear more feminine and change their body to be more like a female body, then um, estrogen, which is the feminizing hormone, will help a lot. And we often put people on something that blocks the testosterone at the same time. And what that does is it helps them to grow breast tissue makes their skin softer, slows down the growth of hair on their body and their face, and um, generally makes them feel a lot more comfortable. Um, The other thing it can do is it can help to change how you feel internally because it definitely affects your brain, your emotional center, and people who go onto estrogen will often find that their emotions become a lot more accessible to them. let's say they cry more easily etc and uh, so for people who are wanting to start testosterone who are wanting to masculinize their bodies they can get some really big changes with testosterone they can get um, facial hair growth their voice will become deeper and they will start to present looking a lot more like a man Um, obviously it doesn't get rid of breast tissue but it will do a lot of those other physical changes that help someone to affirm their gender I don't know if you've seen the doco Pip Girl Like You. I actually haven't. I think we did an interview a couple of years ago with Elle. So basically it follows the journey of Elle through their transition and you can really see the hormone affect her. So basically assigned male at birth, transitions, becomes a woman. Uh, and the estrogen basically, she describes in the doco, made her change the way that she like even had sex, made her have more want to have, I guess, more like softer sex, like what is more emotional, right. felt like more like wanted more cuddling rather than just wanting to just fuck, which is what that they experienced before they transitioned. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, I've had friends tell me when they've transitioned from female to male, they're taking testosterone and their sex drive just goes insane. Like they're toey, they're horny as fuck. It's super interesting. It's very interesting. People I've worked with will definitely talk about, say, for testosterone, for example, and, um, you know, and how horny that makes them and their libidos through the roof and sort of trying to manage and adjust, I suppose, if you haven't been feeling that for a while. Or the opposite of that too, right? So if, if hormones are actually 
impacting your libido and you're not feeling much. So your body's going through a huge amount of change, right, when you start to take uh, gender-affirming hormones and there's going to be emotional uh, impacts as, as well as physical impacts, right? So I've spoken to people who you know, have uh, assigned male at birth transitioning to female and just feeling more emotional, like, you know, feeling that they were, you know, crying more uh, at things that they mightn't have cried, cried about before. So, and then just think like, oh, my body's going through all of these incredible changes and yeah so but you know you, you, it makes sense because these hormones are incredibly impactful right so mm. it makes sense that your body's going to go through a lot emotionally and physically we are going to get into that a bit more with lisa and talk about the sexual and mood changes and how to navigate them a little bit later in the pod uh so don't worry it's coming it's coming soon so hold on winding it back to hormones how do you actually take them because there are different ways for estrogen and testosterone but before you even take them you've got to go through first a consent period so basically um, once someone has decided that they'd like to start that process I do a process called informed consent where we talk through all of the potential risks and side effects of hormones and we also talk about what are the permanent changes because there are definitely some permanent changes that occur with hormones and once um, we're comfortable that all the questions have been answered and the young person or, or older person um, feels like they have a good understanding, then um, they sign a consent form and we get started. So usually for oestrogen, um, it's in the form of pills or there's sometimes um, oestrogen gel or oestrogen patches that we can prescribe. And they're pretty cheap. They're available through the uh, pharmaceutical benefits scheme so that they're not expensive for the patient. Um, and occasionally after some time, some patients might switch over to estrogen implants, which um, last a lot longer and can be very convenient. All right. What about if you're transitioning female to male? When it comes to masculinizing hormones, uh, we use testosterone and testosterone is usually given as an injection. Um, usually a long-acting injection that's given at the doctor's office, although you can learn how to do self-injection of uh, short-acting testosterone. Um, again, it's covered by the PBS. It's a little bit more difficult to access that um, because you do need to have specialist involvement to get the PBS um, authorization, but it's, it's certainly possible to do that. Um, and people will start to get permanent changes from testosterone within the first six months of going on the injections. You can also get testosterone as a gel for people who are needle phobic or for people who might want to just go on a bit of a lower dose of testosterone. You also might have heard about microdosing hormones, which is another way of taking them kind of more slowly so you don't have to go through those big changes quickly. And Dr. Fiona says that this is really common, um, especially if you're non-binary. A lot of people do that, especially people who are non-binary uh, or who want to make some smaller, slower changes to their body. Um, they might go on to a lower dose. And with testosterone, you can do that by using the gel. It's a lot easier to give yourself a much smaller dose of it. And for Eve, this was a really good way of making some sort of minor and subtle changes to their appearance. I've also been on um, low-dose testosterone for a couple of years now. And that's a great model. It really works for me. So it just means, you know, I'm sort of, my appearance is slightly masculinized and it puts me in this funny space where strangers often can't read me as male or female. And some days that's kind of annoying, but other times it's kind of fun to play with people's expectations of my gender. So you might be wondering, how long does it take for everything to kick in? Is it weeks, months, years. This is something that we asked Dr. Fiona about, what that timeline can look like for taking hormones, and here's what she said. We often see people fairly regularly because we're checking to make sure they're not having any side effects or adverse reactions, and we're adjusting the doses and we're doing some blood tests to check. So you might see your GP um, a few times that first six months, and then after that, a bit less frequently, we can give you up to six months worth of hormones on prescription. So it might just be twice a year that you'd be coming in after that. The um, timeline, it looks a bit like this. Probably the first six months, you'll be starting to notice some things, but nobody else is noticing them too much. By the end of the first year, things are quite a lot more noticeable. Two to three years down the track, people have 
probably reached the full extent of what hormones are going to do for them if they've been on a reasonable dose over that time. So what, by about the three-year mark, you will have had the full hormonal transition. And hey, even Eve told us about this too. Like they're still going through it after years of fine-tuning their non-binary transition, their hormones. So when we asked our trans fam on Insta for advice to pass on for this app, Scarlett came through with this gold. So when I started my transition in early 2020, my psych said something that has lived in my head rent-free ever since that first appointment. She said that with all the admin appointments and emotional energy that it takes up, transitioning is a part-time job and it is important to give yourself the time that you need for it. It is so, so important to give yourself space and patience because, yeah, like Scarlett said, it's like a part-time job you've got to maintain on top of everything else. Obviously, with anything that's medical, just anything in life, really, I think it's worth asking, what are the risks? It's a big question. And honestly, Dr. Fiona told us this is something she'd sit down with a patient and go over for a long time, like a whole hour in a consult. But obviously, like we said at the start of this, we're not going to have time to do that here. Uh, Everyone's journey, everyone's experience is going to be individual to their needs, their medical history, everything that Dr. Fiona would have gone through or your GP would have gone through you with many, many sessions. Uh, But here, we can give you a little bit of advice. This is for people wanting to transition a few things that you might want to consider. On the whole, the risks are manageable. They're not huge. Obviously, uh, there are some that are more uh, concerning than others. So with estrogen, the biggest risk is, or the most significant risk would be the risk of blood clots, which can happen with estrogen. And, you know, that can happen with the contraceptive pill too. Uh, and the same thing can happen with estrogen um, that we're using for feminizing purposes. It's a little bit more likely to happen because we use higher doses than what you use for contraception. But it's still pretty unusual and you have to be unlucky to get a blood clot. Most of the other medical risks of estrogen are really just related to um, making sure that we monitor your blood pressure and your cholesterol and that we don't overdose you, don't give you too much estrogen. Sometimes the emotional side effects can be difficult to manage. People can find that they feel depressed or, uh, you know, um, find it hard to manage their new emotional uh, range <laughs> with estrogen. But um, I think they're all things that can be managed by having a good GP who's looking after your health. So Dr. Fiona also said that the biggest risk people worried about was changing their mind down the track and basically maybe wanting to de-transition. But in all her years of working in this sector in LGBTQIA plus health, she says it's really uncommon. The one that people worry about is the risk that people are going to change their mind and that they're going to somehow end up with these permanent changes that they never wanted and it's a disaster. And the reality is that we actually very rarely see people change their mind. It's a very, very low incidence of people regretting starting hormones. Sometimes people take a break and often come back to it. And I think that's the whole point of consent is that people understand what they're doing. They understand that there are some changes that are going to be irreversible and that they make that decision with their eyes wide open. And very rarely do I see people ever wish that they hadn't started hormones. This whole discussion actually really reminds me of an Instagram post that Matt Bernstein posted. I don't know if you follow him. No. Okay, he's like this US guy. Apparently he's a makeup artist, but he mainly just like posts really um, interesting and thoughtful infographics about queer issues. And he posted this thing on his Insta a while back talking about the regret rate of transitioning gender. Um, And there was this big study. They had 27 studies involving almost 8,000 teens and adults who had transgender surgeries, mostly in Europe, US and Canada. 1% of those people on average expressed regret. And then he did this like comparison and he was like 12% of people regret getting a tattoo, up to 20% regret getting their knee replacement, 21% of people regret their corrective spinal surgery, 
the regret rate across all surgeries is about 14%. Wow. And he just made a really good point and was just like, there is no medical treatment that has 0% regret rate. Like there's no decision in the world as well that has a 0% mm. regret rate. So I just thought it was like an interesting point. And obviously this is a very political topic at the moment. But yeah, as Dr. Fiona said, the instances where someone regrets what they've done is very, very low um, because with a good GP and someone to support and chat you through all these options and risks, you have all that info and guidance before you start making any of those decisions. Mm. And I think it's worth noting as well, if you're wondering like what actually does detransitioning look like? Uh, a lot of the stuff that we read online it, it basically can be something as simple as like stop taking hormones, which is something that Dr. Fiona mentioned before. Uh, and detransitioning doesn't always necessarily include regret. This yeah. is something that we read as well, that basically just because you might transition or stop taking your hormones doesn't mean that you regret transitioning in the first place. Um, but like Pip said, obviously a good GP, a good psych as well. Counselling is really important. And that's something that Dr. Fiona mentioned too. Make sure that that kind of care is being taken of as well psychologically. Okay, so we've covered hormones and other ways you can change your appearance. As well as social transitioning, so pronouns, changing your name, etc. Binders. Yep. But what about surgery? Mm. It is something that a lot of trans people think about. And this is what Eve decided to go. Over time, I began to think about um, medical options to affirm my gender as well. Because I knew pretty early on that I wasn't a trans man, I knew I was sort of non-binary or just trans, you know, somewhere in between um, the categories of man or woman. I wasn't really sure that uh, medical affirmation was right for me at first because I was worried that it would sort of make me move from one side of the gender binary to another and I, it's not what I wanted. But I suppose over time, as I began to meet more other trans people and just learn more about what was possible, I decided that I did want gender affirming surgery. So I had what's colloquially known as top surgery to remove my breasts and give me a flat chest. And I absolutely love that. Before the surgery, I was wearing a chest binder to give me a flat chest. And as anyone who wears a binder knows, it can be incredibly uncomfortable and kind of hot and sweaty and awkward. And so it's so liberating to just be able to like get up in the morning and put on a T-shirt and not worry about anything else. And Dr. Fiona says that this is something she helps with her patients a lot. Probably the most common gender affirming surgery that that's done in Australia is what we call top surgery, which is surgery to remove breast tissue for people who are masculinizing their bodies and who have dysphoria for the, the breast tissue that, that developed at puberty. Um, it's a pretty straightforward procedure. It's not that hard to access, but it does cost money, unfortunately. Um, it's not covered through public systems of um, surgery. So you do have to fork out um, quite a few thousand dollars for it. And uh, it, a bit less if you have private health insurance, but you're still looking at at least 10 grand usually for 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 top surgery um it's a pretty safe surgery and and it's one of the most affirming things that um, trans masculine people can do to feel much more comfortable with their bodies on the flip side people can also get boob jobs if they want to when it comes to feminizing surgery some people will have breast augmentation although a lot of people will be happy with the breast tissue they get just from taking estrogen but uh, a lot of plastic surgeons will do um boob jobs for anyone who who needs them. What's less common in the trans community is bottom surgery or genital affirming surgery. It costs so much. It's pretty expensive and it's just really hard to find doctors that do it here in Australia. Some people go on to have genital surgery where they'll have a phalloplasty, um, which is the creation of a penis using um, tissue from their own body. Uh, it's usually a graft from somewhere else on the body. Um, and there's one surgeon in Australia who's really experienced in that. It's very, very costly. We're talking, you know, well over $50,000. And that's before any sort of redo surgery that has to happen down the track. In terms of genital surgery, it's a lot more difficult, again, for trans women to get surgery in Australia uh, and quite expensive, probably twenty to $30,000. And again, not many surgeons doing it 
um, a lot of people go overseas for their genital surgery just because there's not such a long wait list and there's surgeons in Thailand and in a few other countries who who do thousands of these surgeries and are very very accomplished um, so you can get great surgery overseas um, you just don't get any aftercare because once you're back in Australia they can't help you with any complications etc. Also, you can actually get facial surgeries too to make yourself appear more femme, more masked, more androgynous, whatever you like. A lot of trans feminine people will want to have facial feminization surgery, and that's because if they've been through puberty and if they've, you know, spent a number of years with testosterone in their bodies, then they will have some facial features that hormones won't reverse. So they'll have a more prominent brow ridge, they'll have a stronger jaw, uh, they may have a bigger nose. There's a few things like that. And there's a lot of subtle things that can be done that will feminize a person's face. Um, There's a number of different procedures. And there are surgeons here and overseas who'll do facial feminization surgery. It's quite pricey because, uh, you know, you can imagine the more things you get done, the more it costs. Yeah, like I said before, and like Dr. Fiona just said, it's just the cost of surgery is just pretty hectic. It's insane. Tens of thousands of dollars. And often you might see this in your group um, or just online. A lot of trans people will crowdfund their surgery because it's just so unachievable. Yeah. So simply a lot of people can't get surgeries done. And we spoke to Lisa about this. She gave us some really good advice in how you can use things like toys to help affirm your gender, lessen that dysphoria, and, hey, even find a bit of pleasure. The costs of gender-affirming surgery are prohibitive um, for many people. So thankfully there are lots of uh, amazing, you know, sex toys and products. Like I don't think I've ever seen such a beautiful array of things designed by trans and gender-diverse people in the, in the sex toy market. Uh, and the sexual pleasure markers, including amazing lingerie and things like that. So I think when when you know that there's all these other wonderful things to explore, you know, hopefully that that can maybe take away some of that frustration and the difficulty and the sadness, absolutely, of of feeling like I feel really disappointed if if I don't have the genitals that I would really like to have. And then think about, well, what can I do then to explore all these other Uh, amazing ways to to feel pleasure and just to feel better about that. Let's move on from the medical side of things and chat about how to navigate dating, relationships and sex. Yeah, we had a lot of questions about this from our trans friends like Oliver, who had a question about dating. Hey, I'd love a bit of advice on how to come out as trans to potential dates. Here's Lisa with her advice for Oliver. I suppose as honest as you can, but also to not with a sense of shame, you know, like just to, again, we talk about that, that gender euphoria to actually feel really comfortable with your gender, recognising that it's tough because whenever we open ourselves up to potential criticism and rejection, I mean, that hurts, right? So so I guess it's it's, it's going in with uh, going, well, I'm just, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to say, you know, I want to tell you something. I wasn't uh, born in the body that uh, I identify with. I uh, transitioned, da 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 and sort of see where it goes, I guess. It's a tricky, there isn't a sort of a playbook for it, but I just think coming at it from a place where you feel proud and you do feel you you do have gender euphoria and just recognising that other people may not feel that, but if you can come into that with that attitude, I think that's a helpful starting position. Even though if someone does reject you, that doesn't mean that everyone will reject you. And we will also reject other people too, right? We're, all, we're not always going to connect with people. So we will also be those people at some point who say, no, no, thank you. That's, uh, you know, I'm going to wish you well, but I don't think this is going to work out. Okay, so it might not be for everyone, depending on your safety, of course. But Lisa reckons it's a good idea to add that you're trans on your dating app profile. My thoughts are that it's a good idea to put as much honest information as we can onto an app, you know, um, onto our profile. And uh, regardless of what that is, right, so it could be our gender, our sexuality, uh, our body size, you know, what we like, our sexual interests, like all sorts of things, right? So because I think ultimately we're wanting to attract 
people who like us for us. And uh, I, I understand that it can be very nerve wracking and feel difficult to put out there and say, yeah, yeah, I'm a trans person da, 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 and fear rejection. But I do think that if we're honest in our profiles, we've got a better chance of attracting the right people. We also had another dating question from Jay. So I've been transitioning for about two years now from N to F and dating and sex just haven't really been working for me. I'm straight to my date men. I got back on the apps for the first time in about a year last week. And as soon as I told my matches that I was trans, they all stopped talking to me. Even if they were asking me out on dates or complimenting how I looked, it was pretty much radio silence once I told them. I also tried Grindr since a friend told me that trans people use it, but I mostly attracted guys that fetishized me for my race or being trans. They saw me as a novelty or something to experiment with. It can be really, really disheartening, and I don't know how to date without being immediately rejected once I disclose or only attracting guys who fetishize me. And here's Lisa's advice for Jay. It's such a difficult thing that uh, that people experience, isn't it? I'm wondering whether in, in those situations too. I'm a big fan of an honest profile, and you know, being able to sort of put that out there to say. Yes, I'm trans. I'm not looking to meet people who are only interested in meeting me, you know, due to a fetish or da-da-da-da, really being upfront and honest about that. And also maybe thinking about the the site that you're on as well, like, you know, whether whether there might be a site that's less likely to have uh, have that sort of result maybe, that approach or that attitude from people. It's a, it's a difficult one, absolutely. I appreciate that that can be really, really tough. No one likes to feel they're being used in some way and that it's, yeah, it's, it can be a bit of a gross feeling, can't it, for people? Absolutely. Yeah, so as you gathered from Jay's experience, there is a lot of discrimination and gross behaviour out there. I mean, trans people can often be hypersexualized and fetishized and just objectified into a bit of a novel concept rather than being a real person with real feelings. So how do you feel safe while you're out there dating? Climate at the moment is just there's so much negativity to the trans and gender diverse community, which is really terrible. So, you know, some people might be having already an increased sense of uh, anxiety and concern, understandably so. You know, some some tips might be, you know, if you were to make sure you're in a public place, you know, you might be uh, in a pub or a cafe or somewhere, you might want to have a friend uh, nearby if you were worried just to let someone know where you are as well. So I'm going to meet this person, I'm going to this pub, I'm going to have a chat, a bit of a backup plan, you know, so you've got someone who you can call straight away if you're feeling really upset if things didn't go well. Ash, who you actually heard from at the start of this episode, had a question for Lisa as well. Hey, I'm keen to get some advice on how to nurture a more positive relationship with my body, especially when hooking up with other people. A great part of that, look, and and I'm always banging on about one of the the main things about how we enjoy ourselves and, and sexually and with others is really open communication. So, you know, how do we nurture that? It's like actually being able to think about our bodies, I think not so much in a way around what we don't like about our bodies, but actually reframing it into, but what can our bodies do, right? Because our bodies can do amazing things and we can uh, give pleasure and receive pleasure. And it's about how do we think differently about our bodies? So not so much maybe how we look, but what are the things that our bodies can actually do? And I think that's a really nice reframe to get out of uh, a negative space about that we might be in about our bodies and actually think about, yeah, but you know what? We can do all these really cool stuff with ourselves and with each other. And one way to feel better about our bodies is to really explore our own sexual pleasure, to understand how our bodies work, what feels good, what doesn't feel good, working out what language feels good to describe parts of our bodies so then we can talk to other people and partners about that as well. Like we got some really great advice from Scarlett earlier in the app. we also got some advice from Regan on changing how you talk about your genitals. Hey, so I'm non-binary, trans mask, and I'm one week on low-dose testosterone. My libido and appetite have definitely increased. It's almost like going through puberty all over again. Um, My partner is incredibly accepting and understanding. We always discuss how we can make things more comfortable in the bedroom. 
Uh, one thing we found to be super helpful in avoiding dysphoria was using gender neutral terms to describe certain body parts. Like, for example, instead of saying clit, we'll say tip. And instead of saying penis or vagina, we'll say crotch. We also got a question from Danny around sex toys. I'm currently in the process of taking estrogen and testosterone blockers. And I was just wondering if there was any definitive guide out there to exploring the world of sex hormones. Everything just seems so daunting and initially from what little I see it just seems so cis normative so I just really need help exploring how to use sex toys what or maybe what sex toys I can possibly use that'll help me feel feminine I just think it's a thrilling really exciting time in the in the world of sex toys and you know because you've got some incredible things like non-realistic dildos like back in the day you know it was almost like every vibrator or um you know, dildo looked like a penis, you know. So, and there's plenty of us that do not want anything that looks like that too, right? And there are people who do. So, but there's more variety now, which is fantastic. And things like suction toys or sleeves and stroker uh, devices, dilators, bullets, uh, beautiful lingerie. I saw a beautiful line designed by a trans woman for trans women with beautiful areas for tucking and like really gorgeous. Um, and I, I'm just so impressed at, at the range now and, uh, and you know, and, and also with tech, right, you know, all these amazing toys that are remote operated or operated by your phone and you can have, you know, fun with your, your, yourself or partners. So, and I think that because so many of these toys are designed by trans and gender diverse people, they're just, beautiful and magnificent <laughs> so if anyone's listening i recommend you you know jump onto some uh, great website and there's so many great articles on on recommendations for, for for toys and beautiful things to make you feel good and how you can just explore your um, sexuality while transitioning As we kind of mentioned before, this sort of journey doesn't just stop. It goes for a lifetime for people. And we spoke to Eve about this. Their dating life has been a journey of changing and discovering their sexuality. When I was younger, when I, before I came out as trans, you know, I thought I was straight. I um, had multiple relationships with men. And then I suppose in conjunction with coming out as trans, I sort of realized my sexuality was queer as well and you know that's been an ongoing process to discover what that means I mean I think you know I've kind of gone through a process of exploring like asexualities but at the same time I think you know my sexuality is evolving and who knows what will happen in the future I mean I haven't um, been dating the last few years but I think that's been partly a sort of a fear-based response in my part because it is scary being in a trans body, like an, a non-normative body and making yourself vulnerable to partners because there are a lot of stories out there who of trans people who've affirmed their gender while in a relationship and their partners really struggled with that. And so I suppose I have been afraid of how, um, you know, if I was to enter into a relationship, how would that partner react to my changing body and my changing gender expression? Yeah, and Lisa has seen this with her patients as well. Your sexuality changing can be a really common experience for trans people. I've worked with a few people who have had this experience and have come to therapy just to try to explore it, just to unpack it a little bit more and just try to make, make sense of it because it can actually be quite quite challenging in some ways, right, if you've uh, identified uh, as a certain sexuality and now you're feeling completely different. Being a sex therapist, of course, the first thing I'm going to say is actually talk to a sex therapist because we're pretty experienced in helping people uh, work through their sexual identity and also to find a therapist who uh, has experience working with the trans and gender diverse community. And again, speaking to people that you know, is, I think is really important So, because you might be surprised that just to realise how many other people are going through that. I think there's also online chats, like threads. And, you know, you'll often find thread where someone's made a comment about, so, oh, anyone else experienced this? And just knowing that you're not the only person experiencing something like this, I think can also be helpful as well. Yeah. 
Pip, I mentioned earlier that doco Girl Like You uh, with Elle, who transitioned from male to female, they were actually in a long-term relationship with their girlfriend who considered herself straight. So obviously it was a huge change for the both of them and a huge journey. It can really impact your relationship and this is something that Lisa sees with her clients as well. I think that one of the challenges, I think, not wanting the relationship to get lost in the process, yeah, because some people I've worked with have said, look, you know, I felt like somehow we've lost our sense of us as a couple or or more if you're in more than one relationship at the same time, but kind of lost our sense of connection along the way. So I'd always be saying, how are you really being mindful of where you position your relationship? Uh, what are the things that you're doing together as a couple to affirm your relationship at the same time as someone might be you know, affirming their identity. So you don't want that to get lost yeah, in, in the process. So, yeah, and the key to everything, I think, is really open, clear communication. I'm a big fan of things like regular relationship check-ins. Sometimes uh, they can be a structured thing. Uh, sometimes you might want to have a bit informal. But I think regular check-ins where you are actually covering off different aspects of the relationship. If we're living, if we've got kids, our, our jobs, our finances, our sex life, uh, you know, like really like once a month or something you might want to check in and it's a really lovely opportunity to go, how are we travelling? You know, are we, are we on track? Are, are things working well? Are there things that we need to do differently? And I think that that can be so valuable in any relationship at any time. But also, you know, as someone is transitioning, I think that could be super helpful. So if you're dating somebody and they are transitioning, how do you support them as a partner? I think that, again, it's that real, really honest, isn't it? Say, like, how can I support you? What do you need from me? You know, the number one thing to remember is that we are not mind readers. And it's uh, not okay for us to expect someone to know um, how to do something and for us to know just instinctively. So I think it's really wonderful to just always be checking in and, and, and just to actually really be able to say, yeah, what, what can I do that might help you feel better about this or and, and whatever that might be, right? So whether that's sexual, intimate, social, whatever. I'm a big fan of checking in and uh going yeah well I'm not a mind reader so I want to actually know what would feel really good for you how can I support you in whatever way you might need and that goes both ways too right we need to have that you know going both ways but if you're talking about how can I support my partner who's transitioning yeah I'm a big fan of just really the most open honest communication that you can have in girl like you Elle and her partner ended up breaking up I think don't quote me, it was after seven years. And yeah, I think this can be something that you might experience or someone in a relationship can experience with a partner that's transitioning. So Lisa has some advice if you are going through a breakup. Look, I think the first thing anyone going through that, I'd say see a couples therapist. And just to, you might what you might want some individual uh, therapy as well, but also just to be able to sit down with a therapist to just really explore some of these things. Sometimes it, you know, around communication stuff that can be worked on. It also might be if it's about a breakup, it might actually be a bit support in how to break up well. Um, I think some people think that relationship therapy is all about people coming back together, but sometimes it's actually real. How do we break up and and do that okay? And sometimes a bit of support in that could be helpful. It's, it, to, breakups are hard, there's no doubt about it. But I think that that's definitely something that I would really encourage people to seek some professional support with. So there's a lot that we've gone through. And as you can probably gather, transitioning can be really isolating and confusing. It's an experience like no other. And if you live regionally and don't know any trans people, that makes it even harder. For Eve, even though they lived in Melbourne, Nam, where there are a lot of trans people, their transition happened during lockdown, so they really relied a lot on finding an online community. Because my transition kind of coincided with the pandemic and the lockdowns, I was really forced online to discover trans spaces and trans community. Things like Instagram are really useful. Like the, the day I first realised I was trans, one of the first things I did was go on Instagram and look up all these hashtags like, you know, transmasculine, non-binary, and just tried to get models for what 
what a trans life could look like because at that point I didn't know any trans people, not least not that I knew of. So social media can be great. I mean, obviously social media can also be a tricky, fraught space in lots of ways, but I think it is really great for people in marginalised communities like trans communities to find each other and form bonds. Like we spoke about before with gender dysphoria, it's a really, very real experience for trans people, but also so is gender euphoria, the opposite of this. And it's something really, really important to celebrate. I think, you know, when we talk about transitioning and trans lives, you know, a lot of the time we focus on how hard it is to be trans and things like dysphoria and transphobia. And all those are very real and true and important to discuss. But, you know, coming out as trans and living in my non-binary weird body is the best thing that ever happened to me. My everyday life is so much better and I have euphoria almost every day now. I mean, just, you know, when I look in the mirror now, or when I see photographs of myself, it's finally myself looking back at me. You know, when I was still living as a woman, I hated being photographed and I detested seeing photographs of myself because it felt so jarring. I'd look at these images and be like, who is that woman like inhabiting my body? Like who, who is that kind of interloper? And now, and now I see myself and that is just incredibly validating. It's so wonderful as well to have friends and family who really see me for who I am. They really get my non-binary gender. I mean, it must just feel amazing to get to that place where you feel so euphoric about yourself. And it's probably like little glimmering moments as well that you're just like, oh my God, it feels so right. Totally. But yeah, like we've been saying, everyone's journey is going to be so different. But from Eve's experience, they had this advice for you. Just to be gentle and patient with yourself. I think especially when one recognises that you're trans as an adult, there can be like a grief and frustration over the lost time, thinking, you know, if only I'd realised earlier and, you know, all these things I missed out on and I want everything to change overnight and I want my whole new glorious trans life to begin immediately. And, like, I, I had that desire and that's totally understandable. But it's a process. It's a journey. I mean, to be a bit cliched about it, I've been out as trans for five years now and I feel like I'm only really just beginning. Um, I'll probably only feel like I'm just beginning in 20 years time. And that's great. So, you know, even though like, for instance, I found it so frustrating that I had to wait for so long for gender affirming surgery, because there is a huge problem in this country with, you know, there being, well, it being not covered by Medicare and there being a big backlog of people waiting for the surgery and, you know, very few surgeons who are qualified. You know, I think that was kind of all necessary, like part of the process. It kind of took as long as it, it needed to take in a way. And I'm really grateful for every moment of the journey because it's let me learn so much about what it means to have a gender and be a human. So, yeah, and and just to recognise that, you know, being trans is a thing we kind of grow into and learn by doing. We don't have to kind of become experts in what it means straight away and that our own sense of our own transness can change over time as well. Okay, huge app. Really, really huge app. Thank you so much to everyone who has been a part of this episode. So, of course, like every week, we do so appreciate your input at all times and especially people who have lent their advice and mm. their questions. It's so great to get you involved. And anytime you want to be involved, hit us up. You can message us at Triple J The Hookup or you can email us thehookup at abc.net.au. And like I said before, uh, there's only so much we could cover in this episode. It's really scraping just the basics. And there are going to be some resources in our show notes for you. Everyone we spoke to about transitioning said that they couldn't highlight enough how great Trans Hub was. So go have a look online. There's so much resources there. And we'll put it in our show notes too. All right. We'll catch you next time. Bye.